you have a Bible, would you take it and turn to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, and we'll be in verses uh, just 1 through 3 this afternoon. As you're turning there, let me briefly remind you of where we have been uh, in this letter of Paul written to the saints in the city of Ephesus. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, you may remember that Paul emphasized the, the divine work of the Trinity and eternity past to accomplish salvation. And then in verses 15 through 23, Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers, or maybe more accurately, uh, he reported on how he prayed for the Ephesian uh, believers, mentioning how he gave thanks for their faith in Jesus, he gave thanks for their love for all the saints, and the way that he asked God to give them knowledge, a knowledge of himself and a knowledge of all that was theirs in Christ. And while there's a chapter break, we notice that in our Bibles, Paul begins chapter two, uh, but he begins it with the word and. So he's continuing his thought. He's, he's still thinking in the, in the same stream of thought, and he begins by going back in time again. Although he doesn't go as far back in time as he does in chapter one, verses three through 14. Instead, he goes back to the days before he and before the Ephesians knew the grace of God in Christ. Before they had hope before they had this inheritance, before they had the power that's spoken of in verses 19 through 23. And, and in going back to the days before we trusted in Christ, God's word is offering us this encouragement, this encouragement to everyone who has been made a part of God's family through faith in Jesus. Remember who you once were and how you once walked. That'll be our big idea for this afternoon, remember Remember who you once were and how you once walked. We're going to begin by reading these first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 with those words in mind. Remember who you once were and how you once walked. Look with me at Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this word, world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." Remember who you once were and how you once walked. Now, why is Paul reflecting on who we once were and how we once walked? Why, and, and why would we choose to think only on verses one through three of this chapter? Why, why would we stop before those glorious words in verse four, but God? Why would we stop before this description of God's grace in verses four? four through 10. Well, let me tell you what we're not doing. We're, we're not trying to glorify who we were before Christ. Maybe you've heard the testimony of someone who speaks so much about who they were before becoming a Christian that you wonder if they're constantly reliving the life that they left behind. 
that's not our hope in remembering who we once were or how we once walked. And also, remembering who we once were and how we once walked, is it's not an invitation to sort of wallow in our past, to feel some sort of deep sense of guilt or regret about who we were before the grace of God found us. Rather, I think that Paul wants us to remember our past so that he can draw a contrast. He can draw a contrast between who we were apart from Christ and who we are now that the grace of God has found us. He, he wants us to see the, the glory of what God has done through his grace by reminding us of what we have been saved from. He wants to highlight God's grace. A little over 19 years ago, I walked into a Zales jewelry store in Belden Village, uh, the Belden Village Mall in Canton, Ohio, to purchase probably the first, and I don't think I've purchased a diamond for Andrea since then, but to purchase an engagement ring. Uh, now, if you've ever done that, if you've ever gone to a jewelry store and purchased something fairly nice uh, or some sort of precious stone, you, you might remember that they take that jewel and they, they put it on some sort of dark felt background, typically, because the, the dark background that they place that on allows the diamond to, to shine more brightly. If you put a diamond on one of these white chairs, it's not going to look as beautiful as it would if you put it on something that's dark and it allows that diamond to to show forth all of its beauty. And seeing who we were before Christ, remembering the the darkness of our sin, remembering the the blindness of our hearts, remembering where we have come from, helps us to see the brightness and the beauty of the grace of God more clearly. This then leads into a couple of applications. Now usually we leave application for later on in the sermon, but I wanna state these up front so that we can allow them to be working in our hearts as we remember who we once were and and how we once walked. So let's state them like this, two applications, though there certainly are more. One would be give glory to God, and the second would would be live as a child of God. Let's think about these two before we walk through verses one through three. First, looking back leads us to give glory to God. Give glory to God. The, the contrast that comes when we remember where we have come from serves the greater purpose of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which is to show that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works of the law, all to the glory and praise of God alone. So remembering where we have come from leads us to praise God alone. We see how dead, how enslaved, and how condemned we were, and that we were helpless to do anything to save ourselves. And so we're led to give glory to God as the only one who could save us. On this Palm Sunday, we might think of those who cheered for Jesus as he entered into the city, announcing that he was the King of Israel, but who then were swayed by the Pharisees a few days later and cried out, crucify him. Surely there were those in the, in the early church who had been in that crowd, who, who remembered with gratitude that God had saved them and forgiven them and opened their eyes. Maybe they took time each year and they, they looked back. The Palm Sunday was a very different day for them. They, they looked back and, and they remembered what God had done for them. They remembered who had they, they had been, how lost and confused and evil they had acted and their hearts were filled with praise to God for for saving them. We may not have been there as Jesus was crucified, but we know as we sing that it was my sin, it was your sin that held him there. 
And it was his death alone that rescued us, so we give glory to God. We might even think about the, the man who wrote these words. The Apostle Paul never forgot where he had come from, did he? He never forgot that he had once rejected Jesus as the Messiah and persecuted those who claimed that he was God. Paul didn't wallow in it, he didn't glorify it, but he never forgot it. He knew who he had been and his past pushed him to glorify God more and more for having redeemed him. Now, our stories are different than those folks on Palm Sunday, they're different than, than the Apostle Paul. But they all speak of God's grace alone in saving us. They all should lead us to glorify God alone. Remembering who we were and how we walked leads us to give glory to God. Beyond leading us to give glory to God, remembering who we were and how we walked calls us to live as children of God. Looking to the past helps us to look to the present and the future about how we are to live. Live as children of God. In other words, the, the contrast not only helps us to see where we have come from, but it reminds us not to live as if that is who we still are. It calls us to serve God alone, not the world, the flesh, and the devil. Luke 15 talks about the prodigal son, and there's a moment in that story that I love where the prodigal son is getting ready to eat the pig slop that's in front of him. We just read this in the Jesus Storybook Bible the other night. That's probably why it's on my mind, but he's getting ready to eat that. And he comes to his senses, and he decides to return to his father's house. Now, the prodigal son is a fictional character, probably based on some sort of reality, of course, the reality of our own hearts. But I, I still wonder, you know, if we can imagine maybe that there were days that the prodigal son was in the father's house, and he was tempted to wander, tempted to leave again, maybe. Tempted to go back to his old ways. But maybe it was the the smell of the animals and he was reminded of the pigsty or, or maybe he had a feeling of, of loneliness that, that would come over him and he, he would be reminded that he was not who he once was. He wasn't that same person anymore. He'd been changed. He was a child of the Father and his, that, that's the identity that he was called to live in. And so too, when we remember who we were, we're motivated to live as who we really are, that we are children of God, not, not those that are dead, not those that are enslaved, not those that are condemned. Dead, enslaved, condemned. That's gonna be our outline now as we walk through verses one through three and remember who we once were and how we once walked. I'll be honest, that's not original to me. Uh, I read it in John Stott's commentary and, and then I listened to a sermon by Derek Thomas and I think he read John Stott's commentary because he used a very similar outline uh, which is a good reminder of the clarity of God's word and also an encouragement not to be overly clever when simplicity is an option. So we're just gonna stick with Stott and Thomas. Uh, so the first thing we see in verse one is that before God's grace, we were dead. We were dead. Sometimes we face a difficult situation and we, we use phrases that seek to minimize how hard that situation might look. We'll say things like, it's not as bad as it sounds or it looks worse than it really is. But when it comes to who we are apart from Christ, we are often in a worse place than we actually initially imagine. As Paul describes us, he doesn't say that we were sick. He doesn't even say that we were terminally ill. What's he say? We were dead. 
Specifically, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, we spoke of trespasses, maybe you remember a few weeks ago, saying that there's this boundary that we are not supposed to step over, things that we're not supposed to do, lines that we are not supposed to cross. Maybe you can recall that we talked about a no trespassing sign or a fence that has a property line. And the result of trespassing God's law is the same as the result of crossing a property line that has that sign that reads, no trespassing violators will be shot on sight. The penalty for trespassing is death. And we've all trespassed, and we are all dead. We're dead in our trespasses, but we're also dead in our sins. Sin is often described as missing the mark, So this, in contrast to trespasses, this is not a line that we shouldn't cross, but rather it's a a standard that we are supposed to keep, and we are unable to do it. We all fall short of the glory of God. Stott summarizes this well. This is what he says, quote, together the two words cover the positive and negative or active and passive aspects of human wrongdoing. That is to say, our sins of commission and of omission. Before God, we are both rebels and failures. As a result, we are dead or alienated from the life of God, Ephesians 4.18. For true life, eternal life, is fellowship with the living God, and, the, and spiritual death is separation from him, which, which sin inevitably brings, end quote. Think about Ephesians 2. God sets a boundary for Adam and Eve, and he tells them, that if they trespass and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil, they will die. And they eat and they die. They eat and they bring the penalty of physical death into this world, but they also die spiritually. And their spiritual death leads to them being cast out from Eden, separated and alienated from God, dead in their sins and unable to do anything to come back to God. And this is the heritage that they hand down to each of us. Romans 5.12 tells us that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. When it comes to who we are apart from God's grace, we can't use phrases like, it's not as bad as it sounds because it's probably worse. And it couldn't look any worse than it is in reality because we are dead in our transgressions and sins. And yet being dead in our trespasses and sins doesn't mean that we are inactive. We are very active for being dead people, but we're not free. And so we see in verses two and three that we were enslaved. We were dead, and now we see we were enslaved. Let's look at those verses again. Verse two, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. As Paul describes this, Enslavement, you notice a couple times he uses that word follow. In the second half of the letter, he's gonna talk about a a new walk that we have as followers of Jesus. And even here in chapter two, verse 10, he talks about the good works that God has laid out before us so that we would do what? Walk in them. 
But before we can appreciate the, the newness of our walk and the fact that we are now followers of Jesus, we have to understand the way that we used to walk and the ways that we used to follow. Because the way that we used to walk was the way that a prisoner walks with chains around his ankles and his wrists. Because you see, we were enslaved to the world, to Satan, and to our own flesh. And that is what and who we followed. So as we think about how we were enslaved, we're gonna see three things. The world, the flesh, and the devil. First, we notice we followed the course of this world. We were enslaved and we followed the course of this world. If I use the, the term peer pressure, you probably think about teenagers or high school, but we all feel pressure from those around us, from the world around us in particular. We sense that Romans 12, 2 pressure where the world tries to push us into its mold. And apart from Christ, we freely follow the course of this world the way that a, the way that a twig is pulled by the current of a, a river. We like to think that we have a mind of our own. But the reality is that we naturally find ourselves swept up in the flow of pop culture and political ideologies. We, we dress the way that we're told and we talk the way that everyone else does. We value what our culture values, whether it be beauty or money or fame. We live for social media likes and, and acceptance by others. We get caught up in a love of leisure and we find that we are always working for the weekend or we get caught up in a love of things and we find they're always working for the temporary pleasures that money can buy or that our materialistic culture holds out to us. The story of the Pied Piper tells of a mysterious man who played a tune on a magical flute and led the rats of the city out of that city and down to a river to drown. But when the town refused to pay the piper as they had promised, then he led all the children out of that city as punishment. It's a pretty dark story, as most of the Grimm Brothers stories are, but it reminds us of, the dark, of a dark truth, too, that in our sinfulness, we naturally follow the tune that the world plays. We dance to the rhythms that are played for us in commercials and on television programs. We follow the ideologies that are described as news. We listen to the voices of people who are opposed to God and his ways, and we do it all to our own destruction. We are all led down to the river like rats. Apart from Christ, we are enslaved. We follow the course of this world. Second, we follow the spirit of Satan. We follow the spirit of Satan. Last week we saw that the exaltation of Jesus elevated him above all the powers of this world, seen and unseen. Whether the, the world powers that we see in spiritual forces uh, or the, the world powers that we see or the spiritual forces that we do not see, all of them are in subjection to the risen Christ. But if we are not in Christ, then we are enslaved to those powers. We are enslaved to the prince and the powers of the air. We follow after the, the principalities and the powers that work against Christ and his kingdom. Jesus pulled no punches in his words to the Pharisees in John eight forty four. He and he could say the same thing of, we, of who we were before we responded to the gospel call. This is what he said to them in, in, in John eight forty four: You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is clear, isn't he? If God is not your father, then Satan is. Those are the only two options. I think it's interesting, we often talk about demon possession or being possessed by Satan, and sometimes we come up with lots of questions about what that means. Who can be demon-possessed, and what does demon possession look like? And We spend a lot of energy talking about these things that, for the most part, are a little bit uncertain. And in doing that, we fail to reckon with the reality that, possessed or not, every person who is not in Christ is following Satan. That's the case if, if, if only because we work against God and to be working against God in our sinfulness is to be working in conjunction and in league with the devil. We were enslaved. We, we followed the course of this world. We followed the spirit of Satan. And third, we followed the passions of our flesh. We followed the passions of our flesh. Flesh is the, the word that Scripture uses to talk about our natural sinful desires. Paul clarifies here, did you notice that he, he talks about um, the passions of the flesh have to do with carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. It's helpful to think about it, carrying out the passions of the, the desires of the body and the mind. J.B. Phillips translate, translates it to say that we followed the impulses and the imaginations of our evil nature. Now, that's not to say that all the desires of our body and our mind are, are always wrong. There's things that are in us, the longing for community, the desire for food and even for physical intimacy, the need for rest and relaxation. These desires are not sinful in and of themselves. But in, in our fallen flesh, we, we distort them and we become slaves to them. And then we seek to satisfy them outside of Christ. We have impulses and desires that it feels like we can't say no to. Have you ever had that sense that you're trying to say no and you just can't say no? And the reality is that, that when we are outside of Christ, we actually can't say no to those desires. We are following our flesh. We are carrying out these desires of body and mind, substituting God for false gods. And it says in, in verse two that we are not children of God, but we are children of what? of disobedience. We are kids who can't help but rebel against God's goodness. Back to John 8, just before his statement about uh, being of our father, the devil, this is what Jesus says. He states it as simply as we ever could. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Remember who you once were and how you once walked. You were dead. You were enslaved. And the result of being dead in our trespasses and sins and of being enslaved to the world, the flesh and the devil, is the final thing to remember about who we were apart from Christ, and it's this. We were condemned. We were condemned. This condemnation is seen in the last part there, verse three. It says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were by nature children of wrath 
Simply put, we are born in sin, and therefore we are condemned as sinners. This is what our statement of faith says. It kind of brings some of this together underneath the the article, The Fall of Man. It says, God originally created man in his own image and free from sin, but through the temptation of Satan, he transgressed the command of God and fell from his original holiness and righteousness, whereby his posterity, his offspring, inherit a nature corrupt and wholly opposed to God and his law, are under condemnation, and as soon as they are capable of moral action, become actual transgressors. We inherit a corrupt nature from Adam, and then we become actual transgressors, choosing to rebel against God and his ways, crossing the line and missing the mark. When we use the word condemned in modern culture, we might be talking about a house that is condemned, meaning it's, it's unfit to live in. A house is supposed to be a place of life and light, but a condemned house is not what it's supposed to be. Or we could think about a person who is condemned to death because of crimes they've committed. They are doomed to destruction. And that's the state for we who are born in sin. We are not who God made us to be. And we are doomed to destruction. We're condemned. A destruction that that comes because of God's perfect justice and God's holiness that overflows in wrath towards all who have rebelled against him. And so we find that who we are is only part of the problem that we face. The other truth that we have to contend with is not just who we are, but who God is. And God in his perfection requires judgment for sin. The first phrase of verse three, among whom we all once lived, And the final phrase of verse three, like the rest of mankind, both remind us that the condition Paul is describing is true of everyone. No exceptions. This is not all that's true of every human being, right? There's more to us, but all of this is true for every human being. However, for Paul and for the Ephesian saints and for anyone who has found salvation in Jesus, the condition is past tense. And yet, let me encourage you that if you are outside of Christ, whether you know it or not, whether you admit it or not, this is who you are, present tense. Children, it doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what your parents believe. Apart from Christ, you are dead, you are enslaved, and you are condemned. Adults, doesn't matter what you've done or not done. If you're not in Christ, you are dead, you are enslaved, you are condemned. And if by God's grace, somehow that reality is settling in on your heart and your soul, then know that acknowledging your deadness is actually the first step to finding life in Jesus and making this identity a part of your past instead of, your, instead of a part of your present and your, your future. The, the miracle of the gospel is that Jesus was crucified and resurrected so that you who were dead could have new life. Jesus was, was bound to the cross with nails so that you could be set free from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus was condemned 
so that you could be forgiven and you could be redeemed. Jesus came to earth to live and to die and rise again so that you could say, I was dead. I was enslaved. I was condemned. But in Christ, I am alive. I'm free and I'm loved as a child in God's family. To know this new identity, all you have to do is repent and believe. To turn from sin and to trust in Christ. And God, as we'll see later on in this passage, has even promised to be the one that will make us alive and give us the faith so that we can even do that. But for we who are in Christ, we for whom this description is past tense because of what Jesus has done, let me encourage you, remember who you once were. Remember how you once walked. You know, as we begin this Holy Week on on Palm Sunday and we journey towards Easter, maybe the Lord is leading us to reflect on how dead and enslaved and condemned we once were before he saved us through his death and resurrection. Maybe it's good that we're saving but God for Easter Sunday so that we can we can remember, we can, we can let this reflect, this, this, this passage remind us of who we are, who we were, and, and that it would then lead us to give glory to God alone as the only one who could save us. And then remind us, as we said, to call, to, and call us to live as children of God in the present, to take to heart John's words in 1 John 2, 15 to 17. He says, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Remember, remember who you once were and how you once walked so that you might give glory to God and live as children of God. I want to close with one illustration and two loose quotations that I've said many times. <laughs> and I just want to string them together in this moment, and I won't be the last time that you ever hear these things. So, the London Times once asked prominent figures to respond to the question, what's wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton famously responded with a very short note. He said, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. Because you see, we often think of the, the problem of the world, that it's, it's outside of us, and that the solution somehow lies within. But the opposite is true, right? The problem with the world is in us, so the solution has to come from outside of us. And that's what makes the gospel such good news. Because it says to us, you are more sinful than you could ever imagine. And you're more loved than you could ever dream. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's word, and then I will pray. Father, would you help us remember who we were and how we once walked? Not so that we can glorify it or wallow in it, 
but so that we can give you glory seeing what you have done for us in Christ, so that we can rejoice at the fact that when we were without strength at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Lord, so that as we are led this week into thinking on the crucifixion and the resurrection, we would see it with fresh eyes as we look at it from this dark backdrop of who we once were as those that were dead and enslaved and condemned. And now we are anything but that because of who we are in Christ. Lord, would you lead us to give you glory? Would you lead us to walk in your ways, to walk truly as children of God, to know how deep our sin goes, and to know, Lord, that your love is deeper still, that your mercy is always more. Lord, thank you for um, the honesty of your word about, about who we were and about who we are apart from Christ. And thank you for the fathomless truths about who we are in Christ. Would you help us to know all of these things? We ask it in Christ's name, amen.